Chapter Fourteen of the Seats of the Mighty by Gilbert Parker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The most meagre intelligence came to me from the outer world. I no longer saw Gabor. He had suddenly been withdrawn and a new jailer substituted and the sentinels outside my door and beneath the window of my cell refused all information. For months I had no news whatever of Alix or of those affairs nearest my heart. I heard nothing of Doltaire, little of Bigot, and there was no sign of Vubo. Sometimes I could see my new jailer studying me, if my plans were a puzzle to his brain. At first he used regularly to try the bars of the window and searched the wall as though he thought my devices might be found there. Scarat and Flavelle, the guards at my door, set too high a price on their favors, and they talked seldom, and then with brutal jests and ribaldry, of matters in the town which were not vital to me. Yet once or twice, from things they said, I came to know that all was not well between Bigot and Doltaire on one hand, and Doltaire and the governor on the other. Doltaire had set the governor and the intendant scheming against him because of his adherence to the cause of neither, and his power to render the plans of either of no avail when he chose, as in my case. Vaudreuil's vanity was injured, and besides, he counted Doltaire too strong a friend of Bigou. Bigou, I doubted not, found in Madame Cournal's liking for Doltaire all sorts of things of which he never would have dreamed for there is no such potent devilry in this world as the jealousy of such a sort of man over a woman whose vanity and cupidity are the springs of her affections doltaire's imprisonment in a room of the intendant's was not so mysterious as suggestive i foresaw strife a complication of intrigues and internal enmities which would be as they were the ruin of new france i saw in imagination the English army at the gates of Quebec, and those who sat in the seats of the mighty, sworn to personal enmities, Vaudreuil through vanity, Bigou through cupidity, Doltaire by the innate malice of his nature, sacrificing the country, the scarlet body of British power moving down upon a dishonored city, never to take its foot from that sword of France which fell there on the soil of the new world. But there was another factor in the situation which I have not dwelt on before. Over a year earlier, when war was being carried into Prussia by Austria and France, and against England, the ally of Prussia, the French minister of war, D'Argenson, had, by the grace of Le Pompadour, sent General the Marquis de Montcalm to Canada, to protect the colony with a small army. From the first Montcalm, fiery, impetuous, and honorable, was at variance with Vaudreuil, who, though honest himself, had never dared to make open stand against Bigou. When Montcalm came, practically taking the military command out of the hands of the governor, Vaudreuil developed a singular jealous spirit against the general. It began to express itself about the time I was thrown into the citadel dungeon, and I knew from what Alix had told me, and from the gossip of the soldiers, that there was a more open show of disagreement now. The governor, seeing how ill it was to be at variance with both Montcalm and Bigot, presently began to covet a reconciliation with the latter, 
to this bigo was by no means averse for his own position had danger his followers and confederates Cunal, marine cadet and rigaud were robbing the king with a daring and effrontery which must ultimately bring disaster this he knew but it was his plan to hold on for a time longer and then to retire before the axe fell with an immense fortune therefore about the time set for my execution he began to close with the overtures of the governor and presently the two formed a confederacy against the marquis de montcalm into it they tried to draw doltaire and were surprised to find that he stood them off as to anything more than outward show of friendliness truth was doltaire who had no sordid feeling in him loathed alike the cupidity of bigou and the incompetency of the governor and respected montcalm for his honour and reproached him for his rashness from first to last he was without show of it the best friend montcalm had in the province and though he held aloof from bringing punishment to bigou he despised him and his friends and was not slow to make that plain d'argenson made inquiry of doltaire when montcalm's honest criticisms were sent to france in cipher and doltaire returned the reply that bigou was the only man who could serve canada efficiently in this crisis that he had abounding fertility of resource a clear head a strong will and great administrative faculty this was all he would say save that when the war was over other matters might be conned meanwhile france must pay liberally for the intendant's services though a friend in france bigou came to know that his affairs were moving to a crisis and saw that it would be wise to retire but he loved the very air of crisis and madame cournal anxious to keep him in canada encouraged him in his natural feeling to stand or fall with the colony he never showed aught but a hold and confident face to the public and was in all regards the most conspicuous figure in new france when two years before montcalm took oswego from the english bigot threw open his palace to the populace for two days feasting and every night during the war he entertained lavishly though the people went hungry and their own corn bought for the king was sold back to them at famine prices as the governor amid the intendant grew together in friendship vaudreuil sinking past disapproval in present selfish necessity they quietly combined against doltaire as against montcalm yet at this very time doltaire was living in the intendants and as he had told alix not without some personal danger he had before been offered rooms at the chateau st louis but these he would not take for he could not bear to be within touch of the governor's vanity and timidity he would of preference have stayed in the intendance had he known that pitfalls and traps were at every footstep danger gave a piquancy to his existence i think he did not greatly value madame cournal's admiration of himself but when it drove bigou to retaliation his imagination got an impulse and he entered upon a conflict which ran parallel with the war and with that delicate antagonism which alix waged against him long undiscovered by himself at my wit's end for news at last i begged my jailer to convey a message for me to the governor asking that the barber be let come to me the next day an answer arrived in the person of Vubo himself accompanied by the jailer 
for a time there was little speech between us but as he tended me we talked we could do so with safety for vubo knew english and though he spoke it brokenly he had freedom in it and the jailer knew no word of it at first the fellow blustered but i waved him off he was a man of better education than gabble but of inferior judgment and shrewdness he made no trial thereafter to interrupt our talk but sat and drummed upon a stool with his keys or loitered at the window or now and again thrust his hands into my pockets as if to see if weapons were concealed in them vubo said i what has happened since i saw you at the intendant's tell me first of mademoiselle you have nothing from her for me nothing he answered there is no time a soldier come an hour ago with an order from the governor and i must go all at once so i come as you see but as for the mademoiselle she is well voila there is no one like her in new france i do not know all as you can guess but they say she can do what she will at the chateau it is a wonder to see her drive a month ago a droll thing come to pass she is driving on the ice with mademoiselle Lobinière and her brother charles monsieur charles he has the reins soon very quick the horses start with all their might monsieur saw and pull but they go the faster like that for a mile or so then mademoiselle remember there is a great crack in the ice a mile farther on and beyond the ice is weak and rotten for there the current is very strongest she see that monsieur charles he can do nothing so she reach and take the reins the horses go on it make no difference at first but she begin to talk to them so soft and to pull very steady and at last she get them shaping to the shore she have the reins wound on her hands and people on the shore they watch little on little the horses pull up and stop at last not a hundred feet from the great crack and the rotten ice then she turn them round and drive them home you should hear the people cheer as she drive up mountain street the bishop stand at the window of his palace and smile at her as she pass and monsieur he looked at the jailer and paused monsieur the gentleman we do not love he stand in the street with his cap off for two minutes as she come and after she go by and say a grand compliment to her so that her face go pale he get froze ears for his pains that was a cold day well at night there was a grand dinner at the intendance and afterwards a ball in the splendid room which that man he meant bigou i shall use names when quoting him further that he may be better understood built for the poor people of the land for to dance down their sorrows so you can guess i would be there happy ah yes so happy i go and stand in the great gallery above the hall of dance with crowd of people and look down at the grand folk one man come to me and say ah vubo is it you here who would think it like that another he come and say vubo he cannot keep away from the intendants who does he come to look for but no she is not here <laughs> no and again another why should not vubo be here 
one man has not enough bread to eat and bigu steals his corn another hungers for a wife to sit by his fire and bigu takes the maid and vubo stuffs his mouth with humble pie like the rest Choot! shall not bigu have his fill and yet another and voila she was a woman she say look at the intendant down there with madame and monsieur Conal, he also is there what does monsieur Conal care no not at all the rich man what he care if he has gold virtue <laughs> what is that in your wife if you have gold for it nothing see his hand at the intendant's arm see how monsieur doctor look at them and then up here at us what is it in his mind you think eh you think he say to himself a wife all to himself is the poor man's one luxury eh ah monsieur doctor you are right you are right you catch up my child from its basket in the market-place one day and you shake it very soft and you say madame i will stake the last year of my life that i can put my finger on the father of this child and when i laugh in his face he say again and if he thought he wasn't its father he would cut out the liver of the other eh and i laugh and say my jacques would follow him to hell to do it then he say vubo he say to me that is the difference between you and us we only kill men who meddle with our mistresses ah that monsieur doctor he put a louis in the hand of my babe and he not even kiss me on the cheek pshaw jacques would sell him fifty kisses for fifty louis but sell me or a child of me well vubo you can guess pa barber if you do not care what he did to poor matilda there are other maids in saint roque vubo paused a moment then added quietly how do you think i bear it all with a smile no i hear with my ears open and my heart closed tight do they think they can teach me do they guess i sit down and hear all without a cry from my throat or a will in my body ah monsieur le capitaine it is you who know you saw what i would have to go to do with monsieur doltaire before the day of the great birth you saw if i am a coward if i not take the sword when it was at my throat without a whine no monsieur i can wait there is time for everything at first i am all in a muddle i not how what to do but by and by it all come to me and you shall one day what i wait for yes you shall see i look down on that people dancing there quiet and still and i hear some laugh at me and now and then someone say a good word to me that make me shut my hands tight so the tears not come to my eyes but i felt alone so much alone the world does not want a sad man in my shop i try to laugh as of old and i am not sour or heavy but i can see men do not say droll things to me as once back time no i am not as i was what am i to do there is but one way what is great to one man is not to another what kills the one does not kill the other 
take away from some people one thing and they will not care from others that same and there is nothing to live for except just to live and because a man does not like death he paused you are right vubo said i go on he was silent again for a time and then he moved his hand in a helpless sort of way across his forehead it had become deeply lined and wrinkled all in a couple of years his temples were sunken his cheeks hollow and his face was full of those shadows which lend a sort of tragedy to even the humblest and least distinguished countenance his eyes had a restlessness anon an intense steadiness almost uncanny and his thin long fingers had a stealthiness of motion a soft swiftness which struck me strangely i never saw a man so changed he was like a vessel rested from its moorings like some craft filled with explosives set loose along a shore lined with fishing smacks which might come foul of one and blow the company of men and boats into the air as he stood there his face half turned to me for a moment this came to my mind and i said to him vubo you look like some wicked gun which would blow us all to pieces he wheeled and came to me so swiftly that i shrank back in my chair with alarm his action was so sudden and peering into my face he said glancing as i thought anxiously at the jailer blow blow how blow us all to pieces monsieur he eyed me with suspicion and i could see that he felt like some hurt animal among its captors ready to fight yet not knowing from what point danger would come something pregnant in what i said had struck home yet i could not guess then what it was though afterwards it came to me with great force and vividness i meant nothing vubo answered i save that you look dangerous i half put out my hand to touch his arm in a friendly way but i saw that the jailer was watching and i did not vubo felt what i was about to do and his face instantly softened and his bloodshot eyes gave me a look of gratitude then he said i will tell you what happened next i know the palace very well and when i see the intendant and monsieur doltaire and others leave the ballroom i know that they go to the chamber which they call la chambre de la joie to play at cards so i steal away out of the crowd into a passage which as it seemed go nowhere and come quick all at once to a bare wall but i know the way in one corner of the passage i press a spring and a little panel open i crawl through and close it behind then i feel my way along the dark corner till i come to another panel this i open and i see light you ask how i can do this well i tell you there is a valet of bigo he is my friend you not guess who it is no it is a man whose crime in france i know he was afraid when he saw me here but i say to him no i will not speak never and he is all my friend just when i most need ah voila i see light as i said and i push aside every curtains very little and there is the chamber of the joy below there they all are the intendant and the rest sitting down to the tables there was Capitaine Lancy, Monsieur Cadet, 
Monsieur Cornal, Monsieur le Chevalier de Levis, and Monsieur le Général, le Marquis de Montcalm. I am astonished to see him there, the great General, in his grand coat of blue and gold and red, and laces très beau at his throat, with a fine jewel. Ah, he is not very high on his feet, but he has an eye all fire, and a laugh come quick to his lips, and he speak very galant. But he never let them, Messieurs Cadet, Marin, Lancy, and the rest, be thick friends with him. They do not clap their hands on his shoulder, comme le bon camarade, non. Well, they sit down to play, and soon there is much noise and laughing, and then sometimes a silence, and then again the noise, and you can see one snuff a candle with the points of two rapiers, or hear a sword jangle at a chair, or listen to someone sing very soft a song as he hold a good hand of cards, or the ring of Louis on the table, or the sound of glass as it break on the floor. And once a young gentleman, alas, he is so young, he get up from his chair and cry out, All is lost! I go to die! He raise a pistol to his head, but Monsieur Doltaire catch his hand, and say quite soft and gentle, No, no, mon enfant, enough of making fun of us. Here is the hundred louis I borrow of you yesterday. Take your revenge. The lads sit down slow, looking very strange at Monsieur Doltaire. And it is true, he took his revenge out of Monsieur Cadet, for he win. I saw it, three hundred louis. Then Monsieur Doltaire lean over to him and say, Monsieur, you will carry for me a message to the citadel for Monsieur Ramazet, the commandant. Ah, it was a sight to see Monsieur Cadet's face going this way and that, but it was no use. The young gentleman pocket his louis and go away with a letter from Monsieur Doltaire. But Monsieur Doltaire, he laugh in the face of Monsieur Cadet and say very pleasant, That is a servant of the king, Monsieur, who live by his sword alone. Why should civilians be so greedy? Come, play, Monsieur Cadet. If Monsieur the General will play with me, we too will what we can do with you and His Excellency the Intendant. They sit just beneath me, and I hear all what is said. I see all the looks of them, every card that is played. Monsieur the General have not play yet, but watch Monsieur Doltaire and the Intendant at the cards. With a smile he now sit down. Then Monsieur Doltaire he say, Monsieur Cadet, let us have no mistake. Let us be commercial. He take out his watch. I have two hours to spare. Are you disposed to play for that time only? To the moment we will rise, and there shall be no question of satisfaction, no discontent anywhere, eh? Shall it be so, if Monsieur the General can spare the time also? It is agreed that the General play for one hour and go, and that Monsieur Doltaire and the Intendant play for the rest of the time. They begin, and I hide there and watch. The time go very fast, and my breath catch in my throat to see how great the stakes they play for. 
I hear Mr. Doltaire say at last, with a smile, taking out his watch. Monsieur the General, your time is up, and you take with you twenty thousand francs. The generali smile and wave his hand, as if sorry to take so much from Monsieur Cadet and the Intendant. Monsieur Cadet sit dark, and speak nothing at first, but at last he get up, and turn on his heel, and walk away, leaving what he lose on the table. Monsieur the General bow also, and go from the room. Then Monsieur Doltaire and the Intendant play. One by one the other players stop, and come and watch these. Something get into the two gentlemen, for both are pale, and the face of the Intendant all of spots and his little round eyes like specks of red fire. But Monsieur Doltaire's face, it is still, and his brows bend over, and now and then he make a little laughing out of his lips. All at once I hear him say, Double the stakes, Your Excellency. The Intendant look up sharp and say, What? Two hundred thousand francs? as if Monsieur Doltaire could not pay such a like that. Monsieur Doltaire smile very wicked, and answer, Make it three hundred thousand francs, Your Excellency. It is so still in the chambre of the joy, that all you hear for a minute was the fat Monsieur Varin breathe like a hog, and the rattle of a spur as someone slide a foot on the floor. The Intendant looked blank. Then he nod his head for answer, and each write on a piece of paper. As they begin, Monsieur Doltaire take out his watch, and lay it on the table, and the Intendant do the same, and they both look at the time. The watch of the Intendant is all jewels. Will you not add the watches to the stake? said Monsieur Doltaire. The Intendant look, and shrug a shoulder and shake his head for no, and Monsieur Doltaire smile in a sly way, so that the Intendant's teeth show at his lips, and his eyes almost close, he is so angry. Just this minute I hear a low noise behind me, and then someone give a little cry. I turn quick and Madame Cornal. She stretched her hand and touched my lips, and motioned me not to stir. I look down again, and I see that Monsieur Doltaire look up to the where I am, for he hear that sound, I think, I not know sure, but he say once more, The watch, the watch, Your Excellency, I have a fancy for yours. I feel Madame breathe hard beside me, but I not like to look at her. I am not afraid of men, but the woman that way, ah, it make me shiver. She will betray me, I think. All at once I feel her hand at my belt, then at my pocket, to see if I have a weapon, for the thought come to her that I am there to kill Bigel. But I raise my hands and say, No, very quiet, and she nod her head all right. The Intendant wave his hand at Monsieur Doltaire to say he would not stake the watch, for I know it is one Madame give him and then they begin to play. No one stir. The cards go out flip, flip on the table, and with a little soft scrape in the hands, 
and a hair bigot's hound munchabone all at once monsieur doltaire throw down his cards and say mine bigot three hundred thousand francs and the time is up the other get from his chair and say how would you have pay if you had lost doltaire and monsieur answer from the coffers of the king like you bigot his tone is odd i feel madame's breath go hard bigot turn round and say to the others will you take your way to the great hall messieurs and monsieur doltaire and i will follow we have some private conference they all turn away all but monsieur cornell and leave the room whispering i will join you soon cornell says his excellency monsieur cornell not go for he have been drinking and something stubborn got into him but the intendant order him rough and he go i can hear madame gnash her teeth soft beside me when the door close the intendant turn to monsieur doltaire and say what is the end for which you play monsieur doltaire make a light motion of his hand and answer for three hundred thousand francs and to pay monsieur how to pay if you have lost monsieur doltaire lay his hand on his sword soft from the king's coffers as i say he owes me more than he has paid but not like you bigot i have earned this way and that all that i might ever get from the king's coffers even this three hundred thousand francs ten times told but you bigot tush why should we make bubbles of words the intendant get white in the face but there are spots on it like on a late apple of an old tree you go too far doltaire he say you have hinted before my officers and my friends that i make free with the king's coffers monsieur answer you should see no such hints if your palms were not musty how know you ask the intendant that my hands are musty from the king's coffers monsieur arrange his laces and say light as easy from the must as i tell how time passes in your nights by the ticking of this trinket here he raises his sword and touch the intendant's watch on the table i never hear such silence as there is for a minute and then the intendant say you have gone one step too far the must on my hands seen through your eyes is no matter but when you must the name of a lady there is but one end you understand monsieur there is but one end monsieur laugh the sword you mean eh no no i will not fight with you i am not here to rid the king of so excellent an officer however large fee he force for his services and i tell you say the intendant that i will not have you cast a slight upon a lady madame beside me start up and whisper to me if you betray me you shall die if you be still i too will say nothing but then a thing happen another voice sound from below and there coming from behind a great screen of oak wood is monsieur cornell his face all red with wine his hand on his sword bah he say coming forward bah 
I will speak for madame. I will speak. I have been silent long enough. He come between the two, and raising his sword, he strike the timepiece and smash it. Ha ha! He say, wild with drink. I have you both here alone. He snap his fingers under the intendant's nose. It is time I protect my wife's name from you, and by God I will do it. At that Monsieur Doltaire laugh, and Gonel turned to him and say, Bastard! The intendant have out his sword, and he roar in a hoarse voice, Dog, you shall die! But Monsieur Doltaire strike up his sword, and face the drunken man. No, leave that to me. The king's cause goes shipwreck. We can't change helmsmen now. Think, scandal, and your disgrace. Then he make a pass at Monsieur Cornell, who parry quick. Another, and he prick his shoulder. Another, and then Madame beside me, as I spring back, throw aside the curtains and cry out, No, Monsieur, no, for shame. I kneel in a corner behind the curtains and wait and listen. There is not a sound for a moment. Then I hear a laugh from Monsieur Cornell, such a laugh making me sick, loud and full of what you call not care and the devil. Madame speak down at them. Ah, she say. It's so fine. I sport to drag a woman's name in the mire. Her voice is full of spirit, and she look beautiful, beautiful. I never guess how a woman like that look, so full of pride, and to speak like you could think knives sing as they strike steel, sharp and cold. I came to see how gentlemen look at play, and they end in brawling over a lady. Monsieur Doltaire speak to her, and they all put up their swords, and Monsieur Cornell sit down at a table, and he stare and stare up at the balcony, and make a motion now and then with his hand. Monsieur Doltaire say to her, Madame, you must excuse our entertainment. We did not know we had an audience so distinguished. She reply, As a scene shifter, impromptu, Monsieur Doltaire, you have a gift. Your Excellency, she say to the intendant, I will wait for you at the top of the great staircase. If you will be so good as to take me to the ballroom. The intendant and Monsieur Doltaire bow, and turn to the door, and Monsieur Cornell scowl, and make as if to follow. But Madame speak down at him. Monsieur Argon. Like that. And he turn back and sit down. I think she forget me. I keep so still. The others bow and scrape, and leave the room, and the two are alone. Alone, for what am I? What if a dog hear great people speak? No, it is no matter. There is all still for a little while, and I watch her face as she lean over the rail and look down at him. It is like stone, like stone that aches and her eyes stare and stare at him. He look up at her and scowl. Then he laugh with a toss of the finger and sit down. All at once he put his hand on his sword 
and gnash his teeth. Then she speak down to him, her voice very quiet. Ah, girl, she say, you are more a man drunk than sober. Ah, girl, she go on. Years ago, they said you were a brave man. You fight well. You do good work for the king. Your name goes with a sweet sound to Versailles. You had only words word in my poor fortune and me then. That's all. But you were a man. You had ambition. So had I. What can a woman do? You had your sword, your country, the king's service. I had beauty. I wanted power. Ah, yes, power. That was the thing. But I was young and a fool. You were older. You talked fine things then, but you had a base heart, so much baser than mine. I might have been a good woman. I was a fool and weak and vain, but you were base, so base, coward and betrayer, you. At that monsieur start up, and snatch at his sword, and speak out between his teeth. By God, I will kill you tonight. She smiled cold and hard, and say, No, no, you will not. It's too late for killing. That should have been done before. You sold your right to kill long ago, Gankurnal. You have been close friends with the man who gave me power, and you, gold. Then she get fierce. Who gave you gold before he gave me power, traitor? Like that she speak. Do you never think of what you have lost? Then she break out in a laugh. Ha! <laughs> listen, if there must be killing, why not be the great Roman drunk? Then she laughs so hard a laugh and turn away and go quick by me and not see me. She step into the dark and he sit down in the chair and look straight in front of him. I do not stir and after a minute she come back soft and peep down her face all different. Ah, girl, ah, girl. She say very tender and low. If, if, if. Like that. But just then he see the broken watch on the floor, and he stoop with a laugh and pick up the pieces. Then he get a candle and look on the floor everywhere for the jewels, and he pick them up and put them away one by one in his purse like a miser. He keep on looking, and once the fire of the candle burn his beard, and he swear, and she stare and stare at him. He sit down at the table, and look at the jewels, and laugh to himself. Then she draw herself up and shake, and put her hands to her eyes, and... Sephony, Sephony. She whisper, and that is all. When she is gone, 
after a little time he change ah he change much he go to the table and pour out a great bowl of wine and then another and he drink them both and he begin to walk up and down the floor he sway now and then but he keep on for a long time once a servant come but he wave him away and he scowl and talk to himself and shut the doors and lock them then he walk on and on at last he sit down and he face me in front of him are candles and he stare between them and stare and stare i sit and watch and i feel a pity i hear him say antoinette antoinette my dear antoinette we are lost forever my antoinette then he take the purse from his pocket and throw it up to the balcony where i am pretty sins he say follow the sinner it lie there and it have sprung open and i can see the jewels shine but i not touch it no well he sit there long long and his face get grey and his cheeks all hollow i hear the clock strike one two three four once someone come and try the door but go away again and he never stir he is like a dead man at last i fall asleep when i wake up he still sit there but his head lie in his arms i look round ah it is not a fine sight no the candles burn so low and there is a smell of weak and the grease runs here and there down the great candlesticks upon the floor this place and that is a card and pieces of paper and a scarf and a broken glass and something that shine by a small table this is a picture in a little gold frame on all the tables stand glasses some full and some empty of wine and just as the dawn come in through the tall windows a cat crawl out from somewhere all very thin and shy and walk across the floor it make the room look so much alone at last it come and move against monsieur's legs and he lift his head and look down at it and nod and say something which i not hear after that he get up and pull himself together with a shake and walk down the room then he see the little gold picture on the floor which some drunk young officer drop and he pick it up and look at it and walk again poor fool he say and look at the picture again poor fool will he curse her some day a child with a face like that ah and he throw the picture down then he walk away to the doors unlock them and go out soon i steal away through the panels and out of the palace very quiet and go home but i can see that room in my mind again the jailer hurried Vubo. there was no excuse for him to remain longer so i gave him a message to alix and slipped into his hand a transcript from my journal then he left me and i sat and thought upon the strange events of the evening which he had described to me 
that he was bent on mischief i felt sure but how it would come what were his plans i could not guess then suddenly there flashed into my mind my words to him blow us all to pieces and his consternation and strange eagerness it came to me suddenly he meant to blow up the intendants when and how it seemed absurd to think of it yet yet the grim humour of the thing possessed me and i sat back and laughed heartily in the midst of my mirth the cell door opened and let in doltaire End of chapter 14